Welcome to Wildlife Matters, a podcast from Dorset Wildlife Trust. Join us as we share news, articles and conversations exploring all the work we do to protect wildlife and wild spaces here in our beautiful county of Dorset. In today's episode, we head to the Visitor Centre at the Kinkham National Nature Reserve. Daisy is our Community Engagement Officer there, and we join her conversation with Trustee Jim White as they chat about the history of Kinkham and what makes it such a special place. So, uh, we're here today at the beautiful Kingham Centre. Um, my name's Daisy Meadowcroft and I'm the Engagement Officer here. And I'm delighted today that to, I'm speaking with Jim White. So, it's nice to, nice to speak with you today, Jim. Well, lovely to be here, Daisy. I always enjoy coming to Kingham, even though it's quite a long journey. But, as I said when we first arrived, it's better weather here than what I left in Purbeck. <laughs> Yeah, we quite often find that the weather down here is just completely different. As I was coming down this morning over the valley, it was it was all clear and then just came down into a beautiful, like, misty scene. Really? Yeah, it was, oh, my it goodness. Was, it was beautiful. Really autumnal. Yeah, 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 really autumnal. Lovely. Yeah. So, um, Jim, do you want to just say who, who you are? And... Yeah. I've been a trustee of Dorset Wild... I've been a member for many, many years, uh, as soon as I moved to Dorset in the late 1970s. And I became a trustee uh, when I retired from working for English Nature. Uh, so that's getting on for, I don't know, a dozen, 15 years or so. Yeah, and, and I've been involved with Kinkham um, from the very beginning. So your involvement with Kinkham, do you want to yeah, just tell me a bit about how, how that all started? We were in the... Uh, mid Early to mid-1980s, we were in the process of... Um, notifying all the sites of special scientific interest under what was then the new Wildlife and Countryside Act of 1981. Kinkham wasn't an SSSI, um, but we discovered it in the course of doing surveys on the existing sites. Uh, and it was an amazing find, of course, because not only is it you know, a wonderful area uh, and beautiful landscape, but the real surprise was the extent of the grasslands in particular mm -hmm. and the hedged fields which are rare in today's landscape. So the the trust acquired Kingham in 1987 wasn't it so when when did this whole time scale really start with your surveys? and initial... we, we were looking at the site in from the late 19, uh, 1985 I think and then Almost as soon as we sort of discovered how important it looked to be, mm. the owner of the site, uh, old Arthur Walbridge, died uh, and it became obvious that the farm was going to be sold. Uh, and that really set the, uh, the alarm bells mm. ringing because um, this 600 plus acres of farmland that had been managed in a traditional way, not specifically for nature conservation, but just because it, it you know, it was the old way of doing it. No artificial fertilizers, no pesticides and so on. Old-fashioned farming. And as a result of that, these wonderful flower-rich fields, hay fields and pastures and bits of woodland and wet swampy bits, they'd all survived, which even then was rare in that sort of modern landscape. 
uh, it, it, what was so threatening then with the sale was that all that could change. It could go into completely different ownership, completely different sort of form of management, and all of that wonderful interest might be lost. Uh, and really, all through the 1986 period, we were trying to find ways of uh, how could it be saved, you know, who, who could acquire it and continue to manage it, uh, taking account of that wonderful nature conservation value. And it was really quite late in the day, well into 1987, by which time it had been sold and it had been divided into 15 separate lots that the Wildlife Trust fortunately decided to go for an appeal to raise funds. And, and, and that was successful, amazingly, at the 11th hour. Uh, and we went to the auction, the Trust went to the auction and was able to acquire ma many, not all, but most of the lots. Oh, it must have been a really quite stressful time just seeing you know what what could have happened to it all and yeah it's fantastic the the, the result that the trust that's got. right and of course at that time I, I was a member of the trust but I wasn't uh, I was employed by the mm. Nature Conservancy Council then uh, and I could try to influence the trust but I didn't have uh, as much sort of if you like as much influence as I might have now as a trustee so it was all <laughs> persuasion and coaxing yeah. <laughs> and 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 trying to convince everyone how how very special this place was okay so um in those early years what what were the main priorities and that what, what happened in the early years the staffing and how did how did it all work when the trust took over the land well it was an enormous step for I mean, this is going back, what is it, 40 years or so, for a wildlife trust who until then was just owning relatively small patches of land or, or having managing them on leases or even just by loose agreements. The thought of going to purchase <laughs> several hundred acres of farmland yeah. as well that needed to have continuous management, that was an enormous step. It's it's easy to think now, well, why, did, why didn't we go for it sooner? Why didn't we do more? Actually, at the time, it was a very, very adventurous and bold and quite risky step for the Trust to have taken. And key to it, um, working for the Trust at the time, were Richard Jennings, who was the Nature Reserve's manager, and Deborah Elton, who was the, the Trust's conservation officer. And they immediately saw the importance and the value of, of Kinkham uh, and were key to... Um, both persuading the trust to, to take this bold step and then once the, the, the land had been acquired um, to, to trying to deal with how to carry on managing it. And that was the big challenge. You know, it had been managed for decades, if not several centuries, in a traditional way by a farming family with their own livestock and, and simple though it was, the sort of machinery they had available the trust had none of that so we had to start really from from basics fortunately amongst the the trust trustees uh, and members there were farmers and there were you know people who understood land management um, but i think it's fair to say you know through the first few years it was a bit of a rocky process mm. learning how many animals we needed what sort of animals what breed who was going to look after them they were they were huge challenges which took a while to sort of bed down so I suppose was that one of the first things you had to do was acquire the livestock because Kingham is, well, we're, we have our own livestock here now. Um, a lot of other reserves are grazed by graziers. But, so was that one of the first things was 
was acquiring the livestock. That's right, because mm. until then, although the trust did manage um, land which required grazing, I think I'm right in saying until then, we were always depending on other people's mm. livestock, you know, a, a farmer who would have a grazing license or a nearby neighbour or friend who would, you know, put their cattle or their sheep on the site. In the case of Kinkham, though, with such a large area, it was very quickly apparent that we would need to manage our own livestock rather than depending on someone else to provide them. Uh, the easier uh, animals to, um, t to get in the short term were sheep, but of course sheep alone grazing this sort of grass and wouldn't have been enough. So although they came in relatively quickly uh, as a herd of sheep, um, building up the cattle mm. numbers um, took much longer. And it's further complicated, of course, because um, like so many rough old pasture land sites, it's prone to the tick-borne redwater disease. So it's better if you can raise your own livestock on those sort of grasslands rather than bringing in animals differently every year. They can suffer and it can even be fatal for cattle so breeding and raising our own livestock became a, a key priority and that took time you know it didn't really and we're still evolving it now but it, it takes time to get that sort of um, that, that that basic herd of animals of the right sort who will manage on relatively poor grassland it takes time to get that that up and running I think that's a quite an interesting point just to come back to about the having you can just have the sheep alone um the way that the different livestock graze makes a big difference to to how the reserve ultimately ends up so could you just maybe tell me a bit more about how sheep graze compared to cattle yes. grazing and the ponies as well that they're, they're their form of grazing is different sheep bite you know with their with their teeth sort of close down so you often end up with a, a shorter tighter yeah. turf um, cattle, of course, are much better on longer, rougher vegetation. They tend to wrap their tongue around the um, the grasses or the herbs and sort of pull them out. Um, and on these these agriculturally not very rich grasslands, botanically very rich, mm. but not productive in the sense of modern agriculture, um, and therefore often quite rough grazing, cattle were key to it, really. I think if you had to choose just one form of livestock, it would have to be cattle rather than sheep. But the two complementary are very good because the sheep can uh, often get in and clean up, if you like, make make the shorter bits uh, more short. Mm. Uh, whereas the animal, if they were managing on their own, I don't think they'd cope with the, the extent of grassland that wants to grow, <laughs> wants to grow longer and rougher. And the cattle are much better at coping with that. So the two complement each other. So if we skip forward about three and a half decades later, in 2021, Kinkham Meadows and Powerstock Common were designated as a national nature reserve. Um, what, why did that happen? What, what makes this landscape so special that it needs to be a national nature reserve? Well, it's a tremendous recognition of the importance of Kinkham and Powerstock. Uh, and I think it's, in a way, it, I, I see it almost as catching up the early national nature reserves, which in those days, in the early days, always were owned or at least managed by the government agency, the Nature Conservancy or later English Nature, now Natural England. More recently, it's become possible for approved bodies to own and manage national nature reserves. And Dorset Wildlife Trust is an approved body. Uh, it's proved it can manage land to the, the quality and status of NNR. 
so Kingham was an obvious choice for natural England, partly because of the just the sheer extent of these surviving old grasslands, but also because of their variety. So because of the geology at Kinkham, we've got the chalk slopes on the north side of the reserve, then the main bowl of the valley, which is on the Jurassic clays, and then the southern um, high ground is on the greensand. So it goes from chalk, calcareous, to neutral, rather damp and, and waterlogged clays in the bottom, up to dry acid grassland on the, the greensand slopes. And then superimposed on that geology, of course, is, is a wonderful sort of mix of dry and wet and swampy and, and different character grasslands and woodlands. And then you add on to that Powerstock Common, which has a, although it's almost next door, has a very different history, of course. It wasn't, as Kinkham was, a traditional farm. It had been common land, uh, and it, it includes, uh, of course, that huge um, now disused railway cutting, which cuts deep down into the Jurassic clays. So the exposures of rock at Powerstock are very different, and the, the land history and management is different, much more wooded, of course, than, than Kinkham is. So the two are wonderful um, complementary features of, a, of the same basic beautiful Dorset area of outstanding natural beauty. But I, I think the key thing, you say, why is Kinkham and Powerstock NNR? You only have to stand on one of the, the high points and look across the landscape, and it's all beautiful. It's rolling, it's wonderful, it's dramatic um, in whatever light you see it. But you can always pick out what is Kinkham and Powerstock because of the sheer abundance of trees and exuberant hedges and the colour of the grassland. Uh, it stands out in the modern farm landscape uh, as a rare survivor uh, and then as a, as a botanist or as a naturalist or as a bird watcher you quickly know where you're on it, <laughs> where you are and why it is so valuable. So the National Nature Reserve designation, what sort of um... What, what does that mean for the site? Does it, do we get any extra protection from that or just the national recognition? How? It, it is primarily recognition, yes. I think, I mean, the status is important, mm. but it actually doesn't bring any extra protection. The real, if you like, the legalistic protection stems from its designation as a site of special scientific interest and parts of it as a, as a, a site of European importance mm. for particular features. The NNR doesn't add to those those designations but it, it, it gives it a, an elite status and I think from that point of view uh, it's especially important it's it, I mean it's it's important to flag up with visitors you know that this is not only a nature reserve it's it's in the elite <laughs> <laughs> national nature reserve bracket quite rightly so so we've got like a network of them across the country haven't we so roughly on the spot how many ish have I think we got I, I, I'm guessing um, Daisy but I think it's in the order of 200 or okay. so um, many of them are um, have been designated for a number of years you know that and they range across habitats so in Dorset for instance there's several chalk grassland ones there's a very important cluster because of the Dorset heaths of the heathland area over in in southeast Dorset and quite recently of course the 
the super NNR, yes. which combined several existing national nature reserves with other land which was already being managed as nature reserves by RSPB, Amphibian and Reptile Conservation National Trust, and indeed the Wildlife Trust. And they've come together as the largest terrestrial NNR, but that is all... Um, that's all heathland and associated habitats, whereas Kingham, of course, is um, primarily its, its outstanding grasslands. So a rather different suite of species and habitats, but equally important in a national context. What was the um, process like in getting Kingham Powerstock designated as a national nature reserve? Is it... I, think, I think it was remarkably easy. I think because Dorset Wildlife Trust, through the Purbeck uh, heathland NNR, was already accepted as an approved body. Uh, it didn't have to go through that extra hurdle. Okay. And all the land of the Powerstock and Kinkham um, set was, uh, was owned by the Dorset Wilder Trust. It didn't have to involve other ownerships. Uh, and th the, the history of the last three or four decades of good management was easily enough to convince Natural England that <laughs> he was a body who knew what it yep. was doing and, and, and the, the value of the land was outstanding anyway. So it was actually a, a remarkably straightforward process. That's excellent. Uh, so we're down at Kingham Visitor Centre and we are surrounded by the National Nature Reserve. Hmm. What, what species can we expect to find if we go for a walk throughout the year? What, what sort of species are around? Well, there's an enormous number of species of different groups, you know, from birds and butterflies through to flowers to mosses and fungi, um, depending on the season and, and what the weather's been like in the previous few months and so on. I think the thing I, uh, that always struck me about Kinkum is not so much that there, there are uncommon species, but it's not so much that you know, it's, it's bursting with rare things, what is rare in the modern landscape is the extent of the grasslands that haven't been changed by modern agriculture and because of the geology, their variety as well. They have got individually uncommon things in them, but to my mind, it's, it's, the, it's that breadth of, of habitat rather than, than lots of individual rare species. I have to say, obviously, in t in terms of the flowery fields and meadows, uh, the one that everyone sort of falls about laughing when they hear the name is the, the famous corky-fruited water <laughs> dropwood, which there's abundance of at Kinkham. Um, but it, it is a nationally scarce plant. We just happen to be in Dorset in the sort of centre of its its English distribution. And so Kinkham is a brilliant place to see it. Um, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't say that's the reason for the NNR. It's just one of the many, many features that, that are distinguishing. But equally, if you came in the autumn and you saw the wax cap fungi, uh, or you came in the spring and heard the wonderful dawn chorus at Powerstock, for instance, all of those are features, but they just, they all sort of merge together to make it such a special landscape. Yeah, we've got so many different habitats here. I'm, I'm just always struck by that. And in the summer, the hay meadow is just absolutely buzzing with pollinators. And then in the autumn, going up to Redholm Coppice, and it's just the, the floor is covered in fungi. It's just that variety with you've always got the thick hedgerows just full of bullfinches calling away. And it's it's just that, that variety of individual species is, is just wonderful. You paint a wonderful picture of it, Daisy, and that's exactly right. It's that experience you get wandering from field to field and through a bit of copse and across a swampy bit and then across the river. It's just that amazing range of, of habitats. 
uh, all of which just all contribute to, to make this wonderful, wonderful landscape. I think that's a, another point. We've got the River Hook running through the middle of the reserve and that's just, it's a really special part of the reserve to me. That It's a really peaceful, tranquil area to go and just go and sit by the river and the wildlife that, that surrounds itself in, in that area. It's, Absolutely, yeah. And, and it's we play our part in the wider landscape there, of course, because the Hook is a tributary of the Froome that then flows into Pool Harbour. And so the quality of the water here, um, ultimately, although it's only a small part, it's affecting a very important landscape right at the bottom of the catchment. So what happens here uh, in, in Kinkham and its surrounds is critically important for other very, very important habitats further downstream. And Kinkham, of course, um, I think can play increasingly uh, an important role in the wider landscape and we are already doing that with, with working with neighbouring farmers and landowners. Uh, I mean, some of the, the hay fields at Kinkham provide green hay, don't they, for, for neighbouring farmers to do um, restoration of grasslands on land that they want to make more flowery, more herb-rich, more, more valuable for pollinators. And Kinkham's source material for that is very important. And similarly, just the, the extent and the, the wealth of species here um, with the right management elsewhere, are going to spread out. So we can see it not only important in its own right, but as a reservoir and a source of material for the wider landscape, a sort of hub. Yeah, well, it's, it's amazing to think that Kingham has such an impact on the wider landscape. Um, with the hay meadows, do you want to just explain a bit about how, how the hay meadow process works? Because it's quite an interesting um, thing to witness across, across the season. Yes, yeah, so that's a very good point because a lot of the grassland at Kinkham is managed by more or less continual grazing. Not during the winter when it's very wet, but it can be grazed at, you know, in the spring, in the summer, in the autumn. Um, the hay fields, of course, are rather different because their purpose is to... Um, to provide a, um, a lot of material that can be used as winter fodder for the animals that are kept indoors to prevent too much trampling and, and making the, the ground too wet and muddy during the winter. Because of that need, the hay has to be taken at its prime condition when it's got most of the nutrient locked up in the conserved dry grasses and herbs. And it's always a difficult thing, especially for naturalists, <laughs> not so much for the farmer, but for naturalists to see these wonderful flowery fields suddenly all cut and turned into hay bales. But of course, that's what's happened down the centuries. And the, the system of, of managing hay, it would have been large teams of people with scythes and doubtless flagons of cider and the romantic sort of picture of uh, you see so often in old paintings of, of the hay harvest. These days it's much more mechanical and it's probably just a, a small number of people. But the, the process is the same. We cut the hay when it, it's at its maximum um, value in terms of a winter fodder crop. And that's a hard thing to take for a naturalist, seeing all these flowers being cut off. But the system has worked like that for centuries and the plants have thrived as a result of it. We know that, that rather awful statistic that we've lost in the last 50 years or so 97% of our old hay fields, but they were all managed in this way. Uh, and although we can be perhaps, uh, perhaps upset, even angry to see the, the flowers being cut, 
but the system has worked that way and the hayfield flora has actually flourished under that system. Most of the plants cope with that. They're rosette plants. They, they often flower again later in the year. And indeed, we put animals back on to graze that, that regrowth, the aftermath after the grazing, after the hay cut. So I think it's, um, we do have to keep in mind that it is a traditional and standard way of managing. And it provides, importantly, of course, um, it, not only does it keep the hay fields in, in good order, but more importantly, it's providing the winter food to sustain the animals that are coming out to graze next spring and summer. And so if we didn't if we didn't cut the hay meadows the next year, what would what do you think would happen to that landscape? Well, over time, uh, I think what would happen if they weren't cut or grazed at all, and this would apply to the pastures as well, of course, there may be a year or two when you think, oh, it's wonderfully flowery this year. You know, no animals have been grazing or the hay hasn't been cut. But in not very long, it will become more and more coarse as a few more competitive and aggressive grasses and some of the herbs like, say, hogweed or you know, some of the more robust and demanding species would take over. And we would, in not too many years, I suspect, lose a lot of the, the more special, the more delicate, the less competitive species. So there would be change. And we certainly over the time we've, we've had kinkum in Dorset Wildlife Trust hands, that ch- if we hadn't carried on with those cutting and grazing managements, that change would have been very marked. More scrub would have come in. Um, it would have had an interest, but it would be a very different interest and we would have lost the specialness of the, the grasslands. I suppose that's similar with a lot of reserves management. You have to take some sort of action on the reserve in order to maintain the fantastic habitats you've got. So it's... it's uh, long-term thinking isn't it bigger picture thinking rather than just what we're doing that year absolutely right yeah and and i think you always have to think back at how we we have a special site now what have been the management practices that that have led perhaps over centuries to that becoming as special as it is rather than jumping in and saying oh we need to stop this because it's damaging um, this flower or that insect by and large those species have have come on and flourished and survived perfectly well under those systems and to stop them would actually be more more risky and more damaging. Oh, that's fascinating. Kinkham is a fantastic place for wildlife and for an abundance well having an abundance of habitats um, but what about the people? Um, what do you see the volunteers and the staff how what are their roles within the National Nature Reserve? I mean, hugely important, and and it's critical that we have full-time staff doing all those jobs, as you say, Daisy. I mean, both in terms of managing the livestock, managing the land itself for conservation, uh, and engaging with people and, and encouraging them and showing them. The volunteers can help in all of those um, those aspects, N- not taking over from the staff by any means, um, but but just as a support role. So in terms of the nature reserve itself, there'll be, a, am sure, a, through the year, a range of jobs that volunteers do from conservation work like clearing patches of scrub, coppicing gorse, coppicing in the woodlands if that were desirable, Hedge laying, certainly. I mean, that's a, <laughs> there are so many miles of hedges here and a constant job to keep the hedges in good order. And then, of course, in the spring and summer season, 
botanical monitoring to just to keep an eye on whether the grazing management is going in the right direction, whether we need to make adjustments. That could affect the number of livestock we actually hold on the reserve at any time. And whilst staff can certainly do those jobs, there is such a an expanse of area to cover that without a, a, a band of volunteers to, to help with all of those jobs, it will be very difficult, I think, for staff alone to manage it without that help. So the NNR, I think, is a, um, again, it's a focus for people to, to get involved in that way. And, and in terms of people enjoying the site, um, it's easy to walk through the grasslands and, and miss so much. And, and it's always it's so rewarding, isn't it, to take a party out, to, to lead a group or just to be at the centre to answer questions and to realise that not as naturalists, we, we probably see rather more than people visiting casually, but they're always so thrilled to see um, the variety of, of stuff there is and to hear about it. You all know from, for instance, the, the excitement there is on opening a moth trap in the morning <laughs> and people are just amazed that all that was going on during the dead of night. Yeah, it's really it's a really important part to me to um, be able to share the landscape. And part of being a designated site is about involving people in their local community. We do get people from further away, but it's great to have people from the local area come and see the wildlife that's right on their doorstep. And yeah, as you say, things like moth traps and stream dipping and um, I don't know, doing different tree surveys with people. It's great just to see the joy that the wildlife brings to everybody um, and the the site being looked after by the staff and volunteers we we couldn't we couldn't provide a home for the wildlife or provide the enjoyment for people without without such a huge combined effort absolutely right and i think the the key thing which is possibly the greatest thrill of all is seeing when there are groups of young people. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm in very advanced years uh, and the danger is that, you know, it's always old people who've got the time uh, and hopefully still got the energy. But it's so wonderful to see young people, school groups or families coming and, and perhaps being introduced to this richness and, and abundance of wildlife for the very first time. And then hopefully that, that enthusiasm staying with them. Absolutely. It's, it's really a great opportunity to come and to see the wildlife that lives in our country not just see it on a tv screen on a documentary so uh, it's a special place to come and visit yeah corky fruited what water dropwood instead of <laughs> packs of zebras and lions i think yeah <laughs> that's what we need to concentrate on um jim what makes kingham such a special place for you oh goodness um i suppose with the <laughs> being so old uh, it's the passage of the years and knowing what's happened and nearly didn't happen in the past that um, it, it's a it's an amazing survival as well as being special in its own right so I think that that has to feature large in my thinking about Kingham it could so easily have gone the other way and not now be a, you know an important place for nature the fact that it has and the Wildlife Trust has achieved so much in in owning and managing it um, it, it it does put it in a you know a different league really along with power stock I mean, the Trust has over 40 magnificent reserves of all sorts of different habitats and sizes and so on. But I think if I was really forced to choose, I'd have to say that Kinkham was perhaps the most dear to my heart of all of them. But you're new to Kinkham, Daisy. You've only been here six months or so. What, what, make, what makes it special for you? So many things um, make it special for me. 
there's on a day-to-day basis I forget I think I, I I need to remember how special it is um even just walking from where the car's parked down to my office where where my desk is the just the sound and the smells are just incredible um that special feeling of just arriving at work and feeling calm straight away because you're you've arrived in such a beautiful place I think that makes it really special and being able to step out onto the nature reserve and being in one of my favorite places just sat down by the river hook and listening to the sound of the river that's one of the most special feelings I think is just sitting there and having a quiet moment and sharing sharing the space with the wildlife you you are part of the ecosystem I think that that reminder that you are you are an animal in the ecosystem as well as being at Kinkham and being surrounded by it all the time makes it so special and being able to share it with families with visitors with people from all walks of life it's yeah that's that's the highlight really is sharing it and being part of the landscape great stuff such a treat to hear about all that history of Kinkham and what makes it truly a unique place. Thank you both Daisy and Jim. We'll definitely have to have you back for another podcast in the future. If you'd like to visit Kinkham for yourself, you can find directions and information on our website. Just go to dorsetwildlifetrust.org.uk and search for Kinkham. The centre is open from March to October. And of course, Kinkham National Nature Reserve is open to everyone all year round so you can explore the grasslands, meadows and walk alongside the River Hook any time of the year. Well, that draws today's podcast to a close, but we do hope you'll join us again for another episode of Wildlife Matters. If you'd like to support the work we do, then why not think about becoming a member? Your membership support will help us to continue to protect wildlife here in Dorset. To find out more, you can visit our website at dorsetwildlifetrust.org.uk forward slash membership. Together, we can make a wilder Dorset.